but we store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where those treasures don't disappoint, where they don't disappear. Thieves don't break in and steal. And so we thank you. And so this morning, uh, thank you that as we open your word, it's not a book mainly to tell us how to be better people. It's not a book that we should look in and try to find where are we in the story. The, the book is meant to be looking into it and seeing where are you? Where are you found? And so we want to look and see the life that you have for us today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Can you guys can you help with that? Can I have one of them? Well, can you help with that? Thank you, uh, worship team. That was awesome. Um, I like to remind us every once in a while that, um, dude, we have so many students who are in leadership in this high school group where most churches you might have adults who are leading and doing stuff. And so um, the fact that we have high schoolers who are, who are leading um, is huge and awesome. So you guys should see that as a blessing. Um, yeah, we're going to be passing around a little map and then a pen. How are you guys doing? Trevor's better than good. How's everybody else doing? Yeah? Show of thumbs. How are you doing? Thumbs. Doing okay. Connor's doing really good. Anyone doing side? You're a side thumb? Hi, Anna. So we are in week two of our three-week series before Easter. It's called... Road to the Cross, and we are joining Jesus on his journey before he gets to the, the cross, because I believe that in order for Easter to matter, in order for it to be more than trying to consume the giant chocolate bunny that is always sold in stores, and it turns out it's kind of hollow sometimes, so you're like, wow, that looks, that looks like it's going to, but then maybe you can actually do it. Um, instead of Easter just being about that... Um, or even instead of Easter just being about, okay, Jesus rose from the dead, um, it's really trying to enter into the story so we see uh, and feel the weight of, of the resurrection. Because nobody expected nobody to be alive on Easter. Nobody expected nobody to be alive on Easter. No one expected Jesus to be alive. And often we come to the story with our assumptions, and we know the story, we know how the flannel graph works. And so we, ex flannel graph is something that, I don't know if they used it when you were in Sunday school, and they would put little flannel creatures on it. Um, those flannel creatures, <laughs> that sounds weird. Um, but a lot of us, who, who grew up in the church? Who grew up knowing the story of Jesus? Um, and so a lot of us, we've heard it over and over and over again, and when you hear something over and over and over again, what happens? You get numb to it. You lose, it loses its power. And so how do, you, how do you recapture the power? How do you get out of the numbness? you got to get perspective. you got to enter back into the story. So that's what we're doing. We're on this journey to the cross. Um, number two, and you have a cool map, and we'll look at that in a second. Um, first idea here, um, and there's not really any fill in the blanks until the very end. And so if you want to take some notes on the back, you can. But this is kind of a, a sit back and, and, um, and listen. The first point, we resist what we say we trust. 
often we resist what we say we trust. If you are new to Christianity, or maybe you're just in this room and you're like, I hope no one finds out I'm not a Christian. First of all, you're totally welcome here. And you don't have to be a Christian to come to high school group. You don't have to feel like you believe everything to come to high school group. Um, you don't have to feel like you believe everything to be called a Christian. I don't know when we thought that you had to believe everything in order to become a Christian. It kind of looks like you need to believe in Jesus to become a Christian and to follow him. He says, follow me. Um, so, um, but a lot of us, when maybe when you first came to faith, or maybe if you're new to this, or if you're not a Christian, you look at Christians who say that they trust and believe in Jesus, but they resist following him. Right? Have you ever seen that? And we call this kind of hypocrisy. Like, they say they trust him, but then they don't want to give up that toxic relationship. Or there's, they're, they're just a jerk to their parents at home, or they, you know, because they know that if, if they were to follow Jesus, they have to give something up. Right? If, if I were to follow Jesus, I'd have to care about my schoolwork. I have to care about my teacher that I don't like. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Why would you have to care about your schoolwork? Because God, I mean, first of all, it's a privilege that you get to go to school, um, right? <laughs> Preach it. Um, but also, you get to, um, the way that, that you're patterning yourself in how you handle your school, that's going to be how you handle future work, future jobs. And God cares about everything that you do in word or deed that you would glorify him. So you'd have to start caring about how, how you are in school. You wouldn't, even, you wouldn't be able to be lazy anymore. Anyways, so some of us, we trust God, but we're resistant because we know it's going to cost us something. And so the next couple Sundays, uh, today and next Sunday, we're, we're in, the, in the road to Jesus. We're talking about a couple people who resist Jesus. And when we think of them, we're going to think of them in pretty extreme ways. Like when you, We're not talking about Judas, but when you think of Judas, everyone wants to boo, right? Boo, Judas, you betrayed Jesus, right? Um, but what I want you to see in the two characters we're going to be looking at, the two people, Often we want to say that's the villain of the story, and when you see a villain in the story of Easter, I need you to know that it is you. When you see a villain in the story of Easter, when you're like, oh my gosh, Pilate, what a jerk. When you think that, I want you to understand, because if you, if you listen to the story of Easter, you're going to think, if you, don't, if you don't get, get kind of ticked at these guys, then uh, you don't, you know, you're not really entering the story. Um, but when you feel those things, no, I want you to know this. But when, when you feel those things towards the people in the story, that's because that's you. You would think, oh, if I was there, I wouldn't have killed Jesus. I wouldn't have betrayed him. I would have stayed there by his side, and I would have gone to the cross with him. Yeah, that's what Peter said, and what happened, right? He betrayed Jesus. He denied him three times. So we wouldn't do anything different. So I want us to find yourself in the story. And then the, the, the second point of today is to know that resisting God is futile. Resisting God is futile. At the end of your life, you will either be a story Everyone's life will be a story about how resisting God is futile. Either it's a story of surrender, or it's a story that's an illustration that other people will point to and say, this is what happens when you resist God. Um, so what story do you want to be? So we're talking about the story of Caiaphas today. Everyone say Caiaphas. Caiaphas. And I, I've never been a map nerd, but I, now that I've gone to Israel and I've been outside of the country, I am into maps a little bit. Um, so first of all, we got this first map. This is... Um, this is Palestine during the first century. So um, this is Judea, Judea, um, which is the, the southern nation of Israel. Um, this is Judea. There's Samaria. This is, there's uh, the Decapolis up there. That's Galilee. So Jesus did a lot of his ministry up there in Galilee. Um, and, but right now, we're going to be focusing on uh, Jerusalem right here. This is where the events uh, the last week of Jesus' life are taking place. They're taking place in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is coming down on this path through Jericho, and he's coming down into Jerusalem. So he comes down. This is where uh, the Mount of Olives is right here. 
Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and that's when he comes down the Mount of Olives and he goes through into Jerusalem. Um, so this is where we're going to be looking at. So you can zoom in. Cool. Um, and this is your little map. I took off the dots so you can draw. Um, so he's taking this road from Jericho, um, and he's going through the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's coming down. And on Thursday, he goes to the upper room. And in the upper room, anyone know what happens? Passover. Passover. So this is happening during the Passover festival. Jesus is using the last week of his life as just a giant, like, illustration of how he is actually the ultimate sacrifice. Where in the Passover, they had celebrated how death had passed over um, uh, had passed over the Jews that were enslaved in Egypt. And how they had put blood over their door, and the angel of death had passed over. And so Jesus is saying, this is me. If you're in me, death will pass over you. He's doing this really cool thing. There's a lot of awesome things he's doing. So if you want to draw in, you can little, draw your little line that's going down. So he goes into um, the upper room. Um, and then he, they, they go back into the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where we were last Sunday. We were in the garden. And Jesus was, was sweating blood. He was telling his disciples, can't you just stay awake with me one more hour? And Jesus is... You know, he's experiencing the weight, but not just the weight of you're about to be crucified by the Romans, which are really good at that. But he is experiencing the weight because he's about to receive the full weight of the wrath of God that we deserved for our sins and our rebellion. It's going to be placed on him. Okay? So you think you had a stressful Tuesday because of whatever class you had? Like, no. You think you have a stressful situation? Jesus is experiencing the wrath of God, the weight of everything. Um, and as I love, here's why I love maps. When I was looking at this this week, um, does anyone notice anything about the second map that would be interesting? Okay, yeah, he's going back. Going the other way. What? It does not go to Bethany. What do you mean? It starts at Gethsemane. I like this. Anybody else? It stops. Jesus could have kept going. He could have run. He could have gone back. He could have gone towards the Decapolis, which was not under Roman occupation. It wasn't under Roman control. He could have got away from the religious leaders. He could have got away from the Romans, but he stopped. And he waited in Gethsemane for his betrayers to come. We sometimes think of Jesus as a, a victim and a this is like his plan, and he willingly surrendered. So I just want us to think that. Sometimes we get angry in the story, like, why did they do it? It's like Jesus is letting them. Everything that happens, Jesus is letting it. Even when he's on the cross, right, Jesus can send angels to rescue him, and he's in control the whole time. So I, sometimes we think of it like, oh, no, they're hurting Captain America. Dude, no, this isn't Captain America. This is like, he's, he's, anyways, I don't want to go into it. Um, <laughs> but he's, <laughs> okay, so then let's go to the next, the next slide. He's, will, he's willingly letting these things happen. Um, and then today, so he, um, at like 2 a.m. in the morning, right? That's part of why the disciples are falling asleep. Um, his, his captors come for Jesus, uh, and he, they, they take him to the house of Caiaphas, um, which is actually pretty close to the upper room. This is where they think, um, they think it was. So you can draw that. So you can kind of have a cool arrow. It's going back in, going out. Um, so we're going to learn a little bit about Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the, he was the chief priest um, in uh, Israel from, eight, from um, 18 to 36. Um, what was it common era now? Is that what we say? 80, whatever. Okay, um, so for 40 years, 
He was the most influential person in all of Israel. Caiaphas, the most influential person. His brother-in-law was a priest. He had two brothers who were also priests. Um, and they controlled the temple. The temple is very important. I think we have a picture. Okay, this is obviously, so the temple's been destroyed, if anyone didn't know. Uh, in 70 AD, it was destroyed. But this is a, like the best reconstruction on a miniature scale, which I love miniatures, by the way. So I was all about this. Um, so anyway, so actually, if you were standing right like here, this is where the Garden of Gethsemane would be. Um, and then over here's the Mount of Olives, and he takes the road down. And this is where he, he comes in. Um, so Caiaphas controlled the temple. For 40 years, his family did. Everyone, if you wanted to go to the temple, you'd have to pay a temple tax. So Caiaphas is rolling in the dough. Okay? Caiaphas is a Sadducee. Um, and Sadducees, they didn't really care about religious law like the Pharisees. And also Sadducees didn't believe in, a, in the resurrection. They didn't believe that when you die, you're going to be raised from the dead. That's why they're called Sadducees, because they're Sadducee. Um, <laughs> um, so that's not me. That's somebody else smarter than me. Um, so he's a Sadducee, but Sadducees have this, this, this temptation to be corrupted by, by power. Um, and so he's totally corrupted by power, um, and he has this connection to the Romans. And so he's good friends with Pilate, who we're going to talk about next week. His family's in control of the temple. Um, and um, so Jesus is a big threat to him. He's a big threat. Um, and so he, Caiaphas is trying to control this 32-acre uh, plot of land called the, the temple. Um, and all of it is going to be put under threat by a carpenter named Jesus. Carpenter turned rabbi. Um, Jesus of, of Nazareth. Also, this is just a random fact. We were talking at Dive about this. Does anyone know Jesus' last name? <laughs> so Jesus' last name is not Christ. Um, so someone... Just because someone cussed sometimes and said that doesn't mean it's his last name. Um, so Jesus actually, so he was Jesus, son of Joseph. We, would, we, might, we might say Jesus Josephson. Huh? That's really weird. But if he, in our day, we would call it Jesus jo Josephson because he was son of Joseph. Christ is actually a title. Christ, anyone know what the title means? Christ means the uh, anointed one. The anointed one. And in Hebrew, the word is Messiah. So so when you say Jesus Christ, he is the long-awaited one that will come back and restore the nation of Israel. Um, so that's, that's what you hear. So it's not his last name, not a curse word, it's, uh, it's a title. Um, so, so Caiaphas is, is very nervous about Jesus because everywhere Jesus goes, there are crowds. And there's 20 people that show up. And there's hundreds of people that show up. And in, in one scene, there's 5,000 people who, who show up on this hillside, and Jesus feeds them. It's actually 5,000 men. So most scholars say it's probably about 10,000 people if you count in the women and children. And so Caiaphas is getting nervous because crowds mean that there could be instability. Instability to the system that had given him money and kept him in power. Um, and so he was afraid of Jesus. Um, and so right now we're going to put this scripture up on the screen. This is John 11. And so Jesus also raises a very influential person named Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead. And this is the last straw. Because if you were kind of on the outside, kind of following Jesus before, if there is a man who raises somebody from the dead, don't you think you're just going to follow what they say? If someone in here were to raise someone from the dead, I would listen to probably whatever you say after that point. Actually, whatever you say, I would follow you. This is what, yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. How are we going to prove this? Um, so, so a lot of people are following Jesus. And so Lazarus is kind of the final straw. And then all these religious leaders get together. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. This is crazy, by the way. You have Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin all getting together. It's like if the Democrats and the Republicans and the Supreme Court and Donald Trump and your grandma were to get together and agree about politics. <laughs> and pass an agenda for the whole year. They did not like each other, okay? They, but they all got together because Jesus was a threat to the status quo. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting. Um, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, listen to this, everyone will believe in him. If we let him go, everyone will believe in him. Isn't that interesting? Everyone's going to believe in him. They know that it's coming. They know that you, they can't refute the miracles. They know that they can't refute the signs. They can't refute what just happened. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas and these religious leaders are holding so tightly to the temple because the temple is what means influence. The temple is what means power. This is why it's crazy when Jesus, one of his first acts uh, after he goes down uh, on Palm Sunday, is he turns the tables in the temple, right? How do you think Caiaphas felt? Oh, that's fine, Jesus. You totally, you turn the tables, right? So it's okay. Um, no, this is a threat. This is a threat. So here's what Jesus is doing. He is. Um, okay, okay. Also, Caiaphas gets together. This is the last part of that last passage. So Caiaphas says, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And so this is their plan. From at this point, they've planned where to kill Jesus. The plan before was we've got to discredit Jesus. That's why there's always these situations where um, the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus in a trap and to get Jesus to contradict himself. And they were just trying to get Jesus to get separated from the crowds if he could say something wrong. And they realized, wow, Jesus is really good at just turning our questions back on, on, on us. And he's really good at kind of just um, walking around our traps. And so they say, no, we just got to kill him. And if you've ever seen the movie uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, the musical, I was going to show a clip from it, and it is the creepiest song ever, and so I avoided it. But go look up Jesus Must Die by Jesus Christ Superstar. It's a great time. There's also a 2000s version, which, wow, it takes me back to when the angels were good. All right, so, um, so let's go to the next one. So here, Jesus is speaking with authority. When Jesus turns the tables in the temple, no one comes up to him and says, why are you doing that? They ask, who do you think you are? Because he's doing it with authority. He's drawing crowds. He's disrupting the peace. He's criticizing the religious establishment. This is what Jesus is doing. He's speaking with authority. He's drawing crowds, disrupting the peace. And he's criticizing the religious establishment. And so this, this kind of makes Caiaphas nervous. Um, Caiaphas kind of has what's called a confirmation bias. You guys might have heard of this, so you can go to the next slide. Um, confirmation bias is the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that confirms one's pre-existing beliefs or hypotheses. It is a type of cognitive bias, and as, someone knows this from school, right? Um, <laughs> systematic error of inductive reasoning. A confirmation bias is like, you already believe it, and so you look for evidence to prove that you're right. So Caiaphas Especially when you make money from, from your opinions, it's really hard to change your opinions, right? It's like if someone, if like you were, I don't know, a, 
a, I don't know, like a, a soccer player, and like you made money from soccer, and someone came up and said, hey, you know, I heard that soccer is a bad sport. You would just argue it to the grave. She's like, no, also you might like soccer. That's a terrible example. Um, <laughs> but we, we have these confirmation biases. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot uh, for Caivas to change his mind because his money and his identity and his purpose are found in the old in the old way, in his old paradigm structure, in the old way that he saw that the life was supposed to work. Um, and so I don't know if Caiaphas actually thought, wow, Jesus is the, the son of God. Maybe there was times where it, it, it snuck in where, oh, maybe this is possible. But every time he started to think that, he would shut those things out. Because no, if that's true, if that's true, the temple doesn't matter in the, anymore. If that's true, then I won't have a source of income. If that's true, then what, what gave me my position as the, the highest person in all of Israel, I won't have that anymore. You might even have friends like that. Or maybe, it, maybe it's you, where maybe you come to church and you start to feel something or you start to, to see something. Or maybe you hear a sermon and I say something that, that you're like, wow, that is literally God telling me that I need to change and move and shift. And you might hear that in a sermon or open your Bible and read that. But what do you do? Your subconscious or whatever, like you create defense mechanisms around and you become resistant to change because change is difficult because change costs you something. And so you have this confirmation bias and you're going to shut out anything that would make you have to change. Um, and this is where we see ourselves in Caiaphas in this story. Um, here, you can keep going. Um, so here we are. Jesus gets dragged from um, Gethsemane. He gets dragged to the house of Caiaphas, and they start questioning. Um, they try to bring in different people who could say bad things about Jesus, and here's what a couple people say. So Jesus is standing before Caiaphas at Caiaphas' uh, house. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? The temple, which was, as they saw it, the dwelling place of God. Jesus, apparently he's been said that he's going to destroy it in three days. Um, the temple will be destroyed, but Jesus is also referring to his body and how that will be destroyed and, and raised in three days. And so then Jesus says, Jesus um, denied that he would destroy the temple. He denied the whole Messiah thing, and Jesus became best friends with Caiaphas. That's not what happened. Go to the next slide. Jesus remained silent. He remained silent. Jesus doesn't say, no, I'm not going to destroy the temple. And so if you're Caiaphas, how are you feeling? You want to kill. You want to kill Jesus. You want to kill him. Especially if there's already um, people on your side. Can I go to the next slide? Um, the high priest says to him, are, are you the Messiah? Jesus ends up quoting um, this, this passage that actually comes from Daniel 7. Um, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the, of the Mighty One, which is like, you might read your Bible and be like, oh, that just sounds like a cool, the Mighty One, what is that? But it's actually a direct quote over here. Go to Daniel 7. He, the Mighty One in Daniel 7 is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is everlasting, dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in this moment, Jesus says, I'm going to destroy your temple. It's going to be destroyed, and I will never be destroyed. And so then Caiaphas says, all right, game on, you're done. Um, and so Caiaphas pronounces judgment. But the problem is Caiaphas can't kill Jesus. This is all a sham, by the way, a sham. 
there's like they're not allowed to. If you were to go back, like actual, if you were to actually judge someone, actually take them to court, it would have happened in the temple. It's like the left side of the temple. There's this place that they would hear charges against people. This is done in the middle of night at, at, at Caiaphas's home. This is not even legit. And they know they can't kill Jesus because the Romans would have to say, okay, yeah, you can kill him. The only way they can kill Jesus is what? How, how would they be able to kill Jesus? Why would the Romans care? If, if they say that he's threatening to take over and be king. And so they, they tell Pilate and they tell the Romans, Jesus is saying that he's mounting an insurrection against the Romans, which is false. And so Jesus is going to be captured on these false charges um, that he is going to want to take the power of Caesar. And so this is what happens. Um, when we try to resist the plan of God, here's the brilliant thing here. Every time Caiaphas tried to resist the plan of God, what was he doing? He was ushering in the plan of God. Every time Caiaphas tried to resist the plan of God, he was actually helping make it happen. Isn't that crazy? When we resist God's plan in our life, God's plan will still get done, and we become a footnote like Caiaphas at the end of the story. We become a footnote. Um, and so years later, the temple would be destroyed. Um, in, in actually, 70 AD. Um, and then you can go to this next picture. Um, that's Vicky and I. Um, <laughs> sorry, Vic. Um, So, um, um, when you see pictures of Israel, this is not the temple. Um, right here, this is the temple mount. This is the foundation that the temple would have been built on. There is no temple there now. And here's the thing. There's the Dome of the Rock, and some people get really upset. Why is there the Dome of the Rock there? We need to take it back, and we need to rebuild the temple. Christians, I need you to get this, because you will hear people in your life, and they will say, we need to rebuild the temple. If we rebuild the temple, then Jesus will come back. Christians lived for 200 years in Israel and never built the temple. They lived for hundreds of years in Israel and never tried to rebuild the temple, because for them, they knew that Jesus was the temple, and then that we are now the temple, because we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to rebuild a location, because God is dwelling in us. So whenever you hear that we need to rebuild it, it's ridiculous. It was destroyed, and nobody tried to rebuild it. Um, and so, yeah, cool, the Dome of the Rock's there. That's great. We don't worship spaces as Christians. We worship a person. It's Jesus. It's cool that he did cool things in cool places. We do not worship those places. We can go to them and say they're cool, and they can help us worship God, but they're not the point. The temple's not the point, and Caiaphas didn't get it. And for us, a lot of us in our life, we have these things that we're keeping as the main point of our life. And this is where our story hits Caiaphas. There are things that we don't want to give up, that we don't want to surrender, that we use our defenses to keep. These are called idols. They're called little gods. And here's what we learn from Caiaphas. Surrendering to God is terrifying. It is hard, and yes, it will cost you something. But saying no to God will cost you more, including what you put in place of God. Whatever you put in place of God... This is the next line. It will one day disappoint you, and then eventually it'll disappear. Those are two guarantees. Whatever you put in place of God in your life, whatever you're putting in place of him now, whatever you're not willing to change, wherever you're resistant, I will guarantee two things. That thing will disappoint you, 
and one day it will be destroyed and it will disappear. And all of your regrets in the past, every, think, of, think of a regret you have in the past. Think of a regret. That regret is a regret because it was you trying to hold on to something that now, in retrospect, you no longer care about. It's no longer a part of your life. Every regret you have is you trying to hold on to something that now doesn't matter because that thing has disappeared. And so we get to learn a lesson from the story of Caiaphas. We get to learn that we can put our full trust in Jesus. Um, we can learn that he is worth it, and we put our faith and our trust in other things. They disappoint. They disappear. Um, that he is the main point. So what, what are you resistant to? Where, where do you say you trust God, but there's still resistance in your heart? And you have two options. And there are two awesome options. One is we can surrender whatever place that is and say, you know, I want to follow Jesus. The other option is you become a footnote and God's will is still done. Because it's futile to resist the will of God because it will be accomplished. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your story. Thank you that this isn't just true because we read it in a Bible, but it's true because it actually happened. It's true because the, the, the people that crucified you saw you raised from the dead. It's true because we have seen it and we have heard the testimonies of people, the firsthand accounts. And so we thank you that we can believe and trust fully. And we want to trust fully because if you are the God that, that said you were going to die, that predicted your own death and rose, then we might as well follow you because it's true. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.